Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning, not to the Gospel of Luke, but to the Gospel of John, as we, for the next few weeks, have the privilege of a time where we're going to focus on our flourish in faith. Um, this is going to be a time in the life of our church, not only when we have a renewed campaign for all that God has done through our renovations and us as a church and our privilege to be faithful in taking care of that now. But more than that, this is a time where we will present a new vision to the church and really consider and, and weigh and rejoice together at how God is leading us forward and all that he is leading us to do. And so our focus for the next couple weeks is going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to look at the whole passage in some ways, um, John 15, 1 through 11. Today, I'm just going to be focusing on verse 5. But uh, turn there with me to John 15 and begin reading with me at verse 1. Our Savior says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let us pray together. Father God, as Your children, we humbly, simply ask that You would speak during this time. Lord, that You would be at work through the power of Your Spirit in Your people. Helping us to continue, Father God, to fight the good fight, to lay aside every encumbrance of sin, to focus on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. As we come to this text this morning, Lord, as so much lies before us, as we consider, Lord, what you have for us as we press forward into the future, Lord, that, that you already hold in your hand. Help us to know and understand again this morning that apart from you, we can do nothing. Indeed, Lord, I have neither the ability nor even the desire to preach your word apart from Christ. And so, Lord, Give us the desires of our heart. Give us Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Quote, The masses make the mistake of thinking that they do not have the power to dictate how their life unfolds. You have the power to shape your life in whatever way you desire. You need only to come to the realization within your mind that you are a powerful individual, that you can choose the life you want to live, that you can develop into the one that you truly want to be. See the grandest vision of you. So says Asad Maya, self-proclaimed entrepreneur and dream chaser. Hmm. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, this 
is the kind of pablum, the resounding message of our culture. Our world, our culture says to us, look within yourself. You can do it all. You are smart enough. You are confident enough. You work hard enough. The only one standing in your way is you. So rise up, take hold of the power that is yours, and seize your destiny. Now on one level, we can certainly appreciate an ethic of personal responsibility, hard work, and godly ambition, right? But on another level, in regards to what is spiritual and eternal, the words of our Savior stand as an ever-present reminder that we are powerless, right? Scripture reminds us not to look to ourselves, for the heart is deceitful above all else. And Jesus in our text this morning tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. You may be able to run a marathon on your own two feet without Jesus. You may be able to do a hundred math calculations without Jesus. You may be able to be the top salesperson at your office without Jesus. But without Christ, you can't trust God as Jesus trusts Him. Without Christ, you can't love people like Jesus does. Without Christ, you can't understand Scripture and obey it as Jesus does. You can't live your life to please God as Jesus does. And you can do nothing of eternal significance apart from Christ. It is precisely this truth that makes me so excited when I look around at our world today. And I know that that may sound odd to you to hear me to say that. You might respond by saying, well, wait a second, Pastor Sean. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic. This is a vicious political cycle that's going on right now. The moral state of our nation is circling the drain. And the church in America is either apostate or apathetic. Here in our own city, the schools are struggling. The economic outlook is bleak. Crime is rising. Even more, our church is in the middle of a staff transition. A significant portion of our membership hasn't even been able to return yet. And we've got a big chunk of debt to take care of now that the renovation is over. How in the world, Pastor Sean, is this exciting? It's exciting, brothers and sisters, because we have a Savior who does His greatest work when we are in our greatest need. The nations may rage but he sits on the throne above the vault of heaven and laughs at them. Men revel in sin, but our God saves. Economies may crash, but our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Cities may struggle, but Christ establishes himself at the gates. And the church? Well, the church, we are the bride of Christ. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But in and through Christ, nothing is impossible for God. That's what I want us to see and know and understand today, even as we come to this glad subject of abiding in Christ. As I said, I'm going to focus just on verse 5 this morning. And we're going to see, first and foremost, that Christ is our life. Christ is our life. Look there at the opening words of verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. As we seek to understand the context of what Christ is saying here, we want to acknowledge that when Jesus refers to himself as the vine, he's employing a metaphor that was used in the Old Testament. In Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Hosea 10, those are just some of the places where God's chosen people are described as a vine. Now, most of these passages use the metaphor in a negative sense. And that the people of Israel are seen as a fruitless and unfaithful people who are in danger of God's judgment and exclusion from His kingdom. One of those passages talks about how God took them out of Egypt and planted them in His promised land. And yet, rather than being a fruitful vine, Israel was dead on the vine. But in a couple of places, particularly Isaiah 27, the Old Testament prophets predict a future day when the vine will be fruitful. When we come to John 15, brothers and sisters, it is that prophecy that Jesus is claiming to fulfill. As He gives us the last of His seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John, Jesus here states that He is, as God incarnate, the great I Am, He is the fruitful vine that was promised. Jesus is making the redemptive historical claim that He is the new Israel. First of all, He succeeded where Israel failed. Unlike national Israel, who dried up and bore no fruit due to their idolatry and disobedience, Jesus fulfills Israel's destiny by being the proper display of God's glory among men. Secondly, Jesus is also the eternal one in whom the people of God flourish with vibrant, fruitful life. That is is the ministry of Christ. That is why He is the vine. In Christ we find what it is to truly be fruitful in eternal things. Now in the wider passage, we see that Christ does not work independently from His Father in this. Just as in the Old Testament passages, the Father is the one who tends the vine. He is the vine dresser. Because He is passionately concerned for the faithfulness of His people. So he cuts away what is fruitless and dead, meaning those who were only of physical Israel and not spiritual Israel. And he prunes the true branches so that they may bear even more fruit. And that refers to his sanctifying work in every believer. But no branch can bear fruit by itself. By being connected to Christ, by being in Christ, by being one with Christ, we have life. He is the source and sustainer of every aspect of our spiritual vitality. Indeed, this is what is referred to as the doctrine of our union with Christ. Union with Christ means that by faith alone, we are united to the resurrected Son of God so that everything that is true of Him is true of us. That's what the union with Christ means. That's what we mean when we use the, that term. That we are united by faith to the resurrected Son of God so that everything that is true of Him is true of us. Sinclair Ferguson said this even, even better. He said union with Christ is defined in this way. He said to be in Christ means that all He has done for me representatively becomes mine actually. All that He has done for me representatively becomes mine actually. That's what it means, brothers and sisters, to be in Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we 
we have a hard time figuring this out, right? Let me give us an illustration. Imagine that you're at the airport and you're about to board a plane and this plane is on its way to sunny Florida. Florida's where you want to be, right? What relationship do you need to have with the plane at that point? Would it help you to be under the plane? To submit yourself to the plane's imminent authority and the whole flying to Florida thing? Or would it help you better to be inspired by the plane? To, to watch it fly off and whisper, oh, one day I hope to do that too. Or what about following the plane? You know where the plane is going. You know it's going to Florida. And so it stands to reason that if you take note of the direction it goes and pursue it, then you too will end up there. But none of those are sufficient, are they? The key relationship that you need with the plane is not to be under it, not to be inspired by it, or not to be following it. You need to be in it. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane will also happen to you. The question, did you get to Florida, will be part of the larger question, did the plane get to Florida? If the answer to the second question is yes, and if you were in the plane, then what happened to the plane will also have happened to you. That, brothers and sisters, is what captures the biblical idea of being in Christ. We're not just under His authority and submitted to Him. We are not just inspired in our hearts and minds as we look to all that He is. We are not just following Him. We are in Him. To be in Christ is to say that by union with Him, whatever is true of Him is now true of us. Think about all that Scripture says in this regard. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so God elects us in Christ. He sees us and sets His affections upon us in connection with His Son. Ephesians 1.6 then states that we have received grace in the Beloved, in Christ. In other words, the only way that grace flows to a sinner is in our connection with, our union with, our relationship with Christ. Ephesians 1.7 then says that we have redemption in Christ. God, God's purchase of us from bondage to sin and Satan and death becomes real and effective for us in connection with Christ. Without this relationship, this connection with Him, we're dead. There's no redemption. Ephesians 1.13 tells us that in Christ, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The connection with Christ is what makes it possible for the Spirit to secure us forever. Go on to other scriptures outside of Ephesians 1. Philippians 3.9 says that the righteousness we need to stand before God, we have through faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says the same. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We only stand righteous and uncondemned before God because of our connection with Christ, because we're in Him. And Paul goes even further in 1 Corinthians 1.30 when he says, You are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, in connection with Christ, we have righteousness that is not ours but His. We have wisdom that is ours that came from Him that was not our own. 
And he became our redemption and sanctification. It all happened for us in him. And so, brothers and sisters, when Christ says, I am the vine, don't read over that too quickly and think, oh, great, another wonderful agricultural metaphor. Let's go on. No, stop and contemplate that. Meditate on that and understand that Christ is the vine. We are his branches. Apart from him, there is only spiritual and eternal death. But in him, in Christ, all the blessings of glory in heaven and of Christ Himself are made ours. In Christ we have vibrant, flourishing, abundant, thriving, eternal life. Is that not a glorious gift that we have been given in our Savior, brothers and sisters? Amen. So we see first that Christ is our life, but secondly, that Christ is our dwelling place. Look there with me back at verse 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now I'm going to focus on the bearing fruit aspect in my sermon next week, but let's talk now about abiding in Christ. The Greek word for abide means to, to dwell in, to remain, or to be held in place. And biblically, abiding consists of three key aspects. First is dwelling with Him. That's the first of three key aspects of abiding. It's dwelling with Him. Living all of life in connection with Christ. Seeking Him, knowing Him, growing in the depth of our communion with Him. Once Christ makes us His own, we abide in Him. And He abides in us. The Spirit makes us eternally one with Him. And so, brothers and sisters, if there is no connection, there is no life and certainly no fruit. I want you to think about the, the illustration of a, of a couple who brings home their child from the hospital. The child's just been born. It's a time of excitement. It's a time of adjustment. But as soon as the doctor releases them, that mother and father bring that child home from the hospital to dwell with them. She shares the same living space as her parents. She learns and grows under their tender care. Where they go, she goes. They eat together. They talk together. They snuggle together. She, as a result, comes to share their virtues and values and mannerisms as everything about her identity is shaped by their teaching and love. She flourishes in their care, forging a deep connection that lasts throughout their lifetime. Well, it's a very similar idea when we talk about abiding with Christ. Only our abiding with Him never comes to an end. As we abide with Him, as we dwell with Him, as we share that same space in a spiritual sense, as we learn and grow under His tender care, as we go where He goes and follow where He leads, as we commune together, as we know Him and share His virtues and values and mannerisms, as we come to embrace and, and embody and, and be conformed to His image in our dwelling with Him, it just becomes fuller and richer and deeper and more cherished. That's God's design in us abiding with Him, to dwell with Him. Secondly, a second aspect of abiding with Him is dependence. Whereas abiding is reciprocal and, and dwelling is reciprocal, dependence is not. 
Christ abides with us, we abide with Him, right? But when it comes to dependence, we depend upon Christ. Christ does not depend upon us. The branch is dependent on the vine, but the vine is not dependent on the branch. The branch derives its life and power from the vine. Without the vine, the branch is useless, lifeless, powerless. Sap flows from the vine to the branch, supplying it with water, minerals, and nutrients that make it grow. And likewise, as believers, we receive the sap of all that Christ is through our life-giving connection to Him. We are completely dependent upon Jesus for everything that counts as spiritual fruit. Apart from Him, we are lifeless, dried up, shriveled in our souls by the reality of sin. But in Christ, we can do all things. In Christ, we are made capable of knowing and loving and drawing near to God. In Christ, we are provided with an inexhaustible wisdom, strength, and joy to carry us through every loss and trial unto every triumph and reward. We are dependent upon Christ. And thirdly is endurance. Endurance. Remember that the Greek word for abide means to remain or stay or continue. To abide is to reside or remain in Jesus in permanence. And this simply means that we go on trusting. We persevere in residing in His presence. We keep on depending and we never stop believing. To abide in Jesus is to persevere in Jesus and His teaching. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 8, 31 and 32 when He said, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now even as we talk about abiding or enduring, brothers and sisters, we have to stop and realize that if it were up to us to hang on to Christ, none of us would last a moment, would we? As John MacArthur famously said, if I could lose my salvation, I absolutely would lose my salvation. We are able to truly endure, to persevere, because Christ keeps us. Because He will never let us go. Again, Jesus in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that all brings us to the question, Pastor Sean, how do we do this then? We understand it's a matter of dwelling, it's a matter of depending, it's a matter of enduring. But how do we abide in Christ? Well, quite simply, brothers and sisters, through the means of His grace that He has given us. When you look at the whole passage, verses 1-11 through 11 here, Jesus gets very specific about what is flowing between the vine and the branch. He mentions His Word along with His love and His joy. Look in your passage. Look at John 15-7. Jesus says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding in Christ is synonymous with abiding in His Word. In verse 9, He says, As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Abide in My love. Then in verse 11, He says, These things I have spoken to you that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So abiding in the vine means receiving and believing and trusting in the words of Jesus. It means receiving the love of Jesus for the Father and for His people and the joy that Jesus has in the Father and in us. It means sharing the joy, the love, the words of Jesus. 
This is very similar to what Paul said in Galatians 3 and 5 when he said that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy as we hear and trust in the promises of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the the relationship that you have with Christ, whether or not in the depth to which you are abiding with Christ, is directly correlated by how and in what way you abide in His Word. You know, to, to think about this, let me just ask you, what is the difference between your home and, say, an Airbnb that you rent for the weekend down at the beach? What's the difference between your home and an Airbnb that you get down at the beach for a weekend? Well, your home is the place of rest and protection for all that is important to you. Your home is decorated with the pictures of your loved ones. It is where you keep your most valued possessions. It is where you spend the vast majority of your time. It is where you commune with those whom you love and hold dear. You invest your time and your effort in keeping it beautiful and in good repair. But an Airbnb? That's just a place where you get your temporary necessities met when you're not out having fun. You can go there to get a taste of comfort and fellowship and safety, but it's not your home. It's not your dwelling place. Understand, brothers and sisters, that your flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, but particularly your flesh, would have you be a spiritual nomad, never dwelling with Christ. Only visiting Him when you have need. But the Spirit would have you dwell with Him. The Spirit of Christ would have you take up His Word and draw near to Him and make your home with Christ. That's what Jesus is inviting us to here. John Piper said this so beautifully. Let this quote, just let it sit upon your heart for a moment. He said, every one of us only clings to or abides in what we really believe gives us life. And that vine is the one we go to most often for what we find most life-giving. For us, for Christians, that vine must be Christ. Abiding in Him is a matter of life and death. So brothers and sisters, where is it that you abide? Where is it that you find your rest, your nourishment, your peace? Is it in the things of this world? Do you find your rest and your peace and your comfort and Binging the next, next thing on, on, on social sharing platforms? Is it found in, in money and, and, and the possessions of this world? Or is it in Christ? If you are His, He already abides with you. His Spirit is yours. You are one with Him. And each moment of each day, He invites you to be Deeper. To go deeper in abiding with Him. But the last thing Jesus leaves us with in this verse is probably the greatest truth of this passage. Apart from Him, we can't do that. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. That takes me to my third point, that Christ is our strength. As we come to that final phrase of verse 5, we have Christ warning us about one of the greatest struggles we face as we seek to abide with Him. Again, we're in danger of, 
confusing constant activity with abiding. You see, we have a very we all have very active, very busy lives. We're always running, right? We're frequently working. We're going five different directions because of different clubs and activities and entertainments. We rarely have time just to be still and decompress. And then part of our busyness, part of our going, part of our activity is the church. I mean, you know, there's Sunday night, there's Sunday morning, there's Wednesday night Bible study, there's fellowship with our friends, there's service on a ministry team. There's always plenty to do. And, and we constantly have James 1.22 ringing in our ears, right? But be doers of the word and not hearers only. But brothers and sisters, activity for Christ is not abiding with Activity with Christ is not abiding in Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. It's like the story of Mary and Martha. You remember that story, right? In Luke 10, you know, Martha had invited Jesus to come into their home and she was distracted with serving. And in Luke 10, 40, she went up to Him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Brothers and sisters, one thing is necessary. Abiding with Christ. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are prone to be more like Martha than Mary, doing a lot of activity in service to Christ, when what is really necessary is sitting at the feet of our Savior, communing with Him. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. I want you to see and behold what Christ has given us, brothers and sisters. What is the greatest commandment? We are told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? That's the law. But in and of ourselves, we are incapable of loving God, right? We are so distracted. We are easily given over to other things, easily given over to other idols of the heart. We are incapable of giving our Lord a heart that is fully committed to Him. We are incapable of fulfilling this command to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But not Jesus. Jesus, He loved the Father perfectly, didn't He? He communed with the Father perfectly. He delighted to do His Father's will, to be an instrument of His Father's purpose of redemption. Jesus delights in the Father Jesus delights in the Father for us. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. But in Christ, brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are able to love God. In and of ourselves, we are incapable of truly serving God. Our strength is easily exhaustible, so we burn out. Our wisdom and discernment is limited, so we don't always know the best plan or the best way. And selfish motives are always involved, even in our most pious efforts. But not Jesus. God commands us to serve, but we're incapable of serving. Jesus serves perfectly. Jesus serves His Father from a pure heart and out of infinite strength. Jesus always knows what is necessary, what is wise, what is best. And there is never a, a sinful mingling of any other motives or thoughts in the mind of Christ. His mind and heart is always fully and wholly dedicated to service to the Father. 
Brothers and sisters, we are incapable of forgiving others, right? The, the law commands us to forgive others as we have been forgiven, but we're not capable of that. We hold grudges. We get bitter. We distance ourselves from relationships that are uncomfortable to us. But not Jesus. Jesus died to secure our forgiveness when we were yet enemies. He is long-suffering and merciful to us even when we still sin against Him each day. He never distances Himself from us, does He? In fact, when we are struggling with trials and sins, His heart of mercy moves Him even closer to us. We stand forgiven in Him. He is the one who grants us even repentance and confession. And so in Christ, we are able to forgive, aren't we? We are incapable of conquering sin. We are commanded to put off the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. We fight day after day with a heart of anger and lose the battle. We fight day after day with the lust of the flesh and give in. We fight day after day with a driving hunger for the material comforts of this world and still resort to them to find our peace. But not Christ. Christ was never given to unrighteous anger. Christ was tempted in all ways in His flesh as we are, yet without sin. Christ is the one who has conquered this world. And He has shown us that the world that He is preparing for us, that eternity with Him, is far better. It is of surpassing value compared to the things of this world. Christ is our conqueror and He makes us more than conquerors. Brothers and sisters, even as we talk about the church, even as we talk about our going forward together as the people of God together and a new vision for Him and, and all that God has for us to do and retiring this debt and, and being a lighthouse for the gospel in our community, do you understand that if it were just up to us, we would make a wreck of this body? We are people with all different ideas about what is best. We are people with all different ideas about who should do what and how everything from finances to leadership to ministry should be handled. If it were up to us, we would be in a constant state of disunity and disarray. But oh, well, what comfort it is to know that the church, this church, is Christ's bride. We are His body. He died to redeem us and all that we are is His and therefore, as we are submitted to His leadership, as we are abiding in Him and loving Him, we cannot fail. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. But in Him, nothing is impossible for God. That's why we've entitled our new vision, which everyone will receive next week, and I'll have the privilege of presenting it here. We've, we've entitled it Abiding and Thriving, because that's what we are in Christ, brothers and sisters. As we look not to ourselves, but to Him. As we depend not on ourselves, but on Him. We will be a people who abide and thrive. We have the privilege of serving Christ in this time, in this place, and continuing the growing legacy of a body that is focused on Him and His Word. And my prayer that as even as we take this first step today, that we will do so prayerfully, diligently, lovingly, sacrificially. Because Christ is our all in all. Is He not? 
brothers and sisters, we have the greatest privilege in the world. We, if we have trusted in Christ, we are one with Him. We are forgiven in Him. By His grace, we have been cleansed and brought near. The light and momentary troubles of this world do not even compare to what we have been given in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so let us be a people who, as we abide in Him, go forward in confidence knowing that it is Christ our King that leads us forward. We have the privilege for the first time in many months of finally having communion in our morning service. And what a blessing and a privilege it is to even as we think about this table, as we look at coming and partaking of these elements as Christ has prescribed, this is a, a tangible representation of the greater spiritual reality that we have relationship with Christ, that we are welcome to His table, that He has bid us to come into His presence as we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And if you are here today as a professing believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to come to this table. You may be a believer who has struggled with sin this past week. I want to assure you that you don't have to be perfect to come to this table. You come to this table because Christ is the only perfect one. And so if you are struggling, if you are fighting to walk in repentance, come and know the grace of a Savior who has given His body and His blood so that you could be forgiven and made whole. However, if you are not in Christ, if you are apart from Him, then do not partake of these elements because the Bible warns us that to do so would be to eat and drink judgment to yourself. Honor the Lord this day by allowing these elements to pass by until such a time that you are walking with Christ, until such a time that you have believed in Him and trusted in Him alone for salvation. But brothers and sisters, even as we come, let us rejoice in the goodness and glory that is ours through the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us prepare our hearts even now to receive these elements and again, given COVID restrictions, we are not going to pass the plates. Those of you that are at the end of the pews, if you could just reach up and undo the rope that is in the row ahead of you or behind you, our deacons will sanitize their hands and they will pass through those open rows distributing the elements. But let us prepare our minds and our hearts as we rejoice and as we together partake of these elements. Could our table servants please come forward now?
And when Jesus had broke it and given thanks, He said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Christ, we come before You this day as Your people, delighted at the opportunity to break this bread and drink this cup with one another. But more than that, Lord, delighted in all that we have been given so freely in Jesus Christ our Lord. Apart from You, we can do nothing. But in You, Lord, we are saved. We are spared from the penalty of sin. We are made clean. We are adopted and made Your very own children. We are justified in Your sight, sanctified by Your Spirit, and given the promise of an eternity with You in our hearts. As we contemplate the glories of Christ our King, let us draw near to Him. And abide with Him all the more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.